the weather's getting worse. Um, I'm just getting exhausted at that point. And I needed to get from the island to the far side of the Mississippi River. Um, but these storms kept coming. Jill Brown is alone. She's attempting to paddle across the continental United States. But right now, she's stranded on a small island in the middle of the most dangerous part of the Mississippi River. She's lost her navigation equipment, her legs are a mess of open sores, and she's broken a bone in her foot. The sky flashes with lightning and roars with thunder. The rain's coming down so hard, it's difficult to see. Finally, there was a little gap and I pushed off paddled to the other side, I could see this wall of rain coming. And just as I get to the other side, the rain starts again and a bolt of lightning hits the island where I had just been camping. I'm Tora Kutcher, and this is Tell Me What Happened. True stories of people helping people. An original podcast by OnStar because we all have moments when we need help from a stranger. It's the 23rd of March, and Jillian Brown is sitting at her parents' kitchen table. Her mother hands her the phone and says, it's for you. On the other end is a guy named Martin. He's an adventurer and long-distance canoeist. He has an idea, a surprising, tempting, Exciting idea. A transcontinental canoe trip. Martin called me up a month before the trip and asked if I would be interested and available. He wasn't calling people at random. I mean, Jill is a talented wilderness photographer, so she can document the trip. She also has decades of paddling experience. I've been paddling for the majority of my life. I got to grow up on a small island in northwestern Ontario on Lake of the Woods. But also, being on an island, you could basically swim before you could walk, drive a boat before you could run. So I always had a love for water and being on the water and being surrounded by the water. The proposed voyage starts in the northwest, on the Pacific coast. It follows rivers and lakes, and requires portages where there's no water route. It goes all the way across the United States, over the Continental Divide, ending in the Florida Keys. They would be the first people ever to do it. 16 states, 4,740 miles, seven months. Now, when I heard this, I thought two things. One, wow, what an amazing trip. I would love to do something like that. I mean, I'm no superstar, but I have paddled a canoe or two in my time. But then my second thought was, who can drop everything in their life and go on this crazy adventure for half a year with just four weeks' notice? Well, apparently, someone like Jill. I'm not going to turn down something like that. Even if it's short notice, I'll figure out a way to make it work. I happened to be visiting my parents at the time, And I just basically hung up the phone, looked at them and asked, hey, how do you feel about having my dog for uh, up to seven months? (laughs) So it was kind of an instant no-brainer when they said yes to that. Okay, that was the the hardest challenge for me was sorting out my dog. (laughs) April 28th, Astoria, 
Oregon, where the Columbia River meets the Pacific Ocean. With little fanfare, Jill and Martin put their 18-foot canoe into the water. Even from the start, nothing is easy. Because we were starting in the spring, the dams were wide open due to the snow melt. And most of the rivers were flooded. They had had like 170% more snowfall than regular within the mountains there. Um, so the rivers were really, really high. And we were going against the current. They paddle upstream for weeks, fighting floodwaters, going against the current, making massive portages. Portages are when you pick up the canoe and carry it around a section of the river that isn't navigable carrying your boat and all your equipment, even just a few hundred yards, is backbreaking work. At that point, we had already portaged eight dams, four on the Columbia River and four on the Snake River. So normal portages around these dams would maybe be a kilometer long, um, but some were quadruple that, if not more, because we couldn't get very close paddling against the current with the dams wide open. They covered 25 miles on a good day, but most were barely 20. It was scenic for sure. They were seeing parts of America very few people do. Abandoned boats half sunk into the riverbed, owls and eagles soaring overhead. And when they portaged around dams and rapids, they saw rattlesnakes slithering through the grass. After 500 grueling miles, they reached Lewiston, Idaho. They called this the end of the first leg of their trip. They took two days to rest their arms, legs, and backs, because coming up next was what they assumed would be the hardest part of their journey. That's where we began the portage over the Continental Divide. For those that don't remember their ninth grade geography, the Continental Divide is a line that splits America in two, east and west. All the rivers on the west flow into the Pacific Ocean. All the rivers on the east flow into the Atlantic or the Gulf of Mexico, separating them is the Rocky Mountains. And for Jill and Martin, that means 420 miles of hiking. That's the challenge they've set for themselves, to cross the whole country, only using their paddles and their boots. What we would do is put one of these barrels on our back with the backpack straps, and then one around our front um, with the backpack straps. So we would have two barrels of between 75 and 50 pounds each. So we had most of our gear on our backs, on our bodies, and then just kind of pull the canoe. On the second day was when I broke my foot. So the foot was a stress fracture, which is a really common injury when you're bearing a lot of weight. It's the most common injury in the military because you're carrying so much weight on your back. The only thing that will heal a stress fracture is rest. But that wasn't really an option. Kept going 16 more days until my boots no longer fit. And that was mainly because of overcompensating with one foot for the pain in the other. They both swelled and I had massive blisters that were infected and wide open. It was now June and summer had arrived. Oh, it was so hot. <laughs> it was really hot those first few days. Actually, a lot of the portage over the Continental Divide was quite warm. And there was a huge thunderstorm when we camped at the highest point of elevation there, which was incredible. 
nearing the end, um, we were in a blizzard, which was crazy. We literally had every sort of weather you could possibly imagine and experience. Going down the backside of the mountains is a little easier. Jill is still suffering with her foot injury, but she keeps going. It was just me being stubborn and wanting to kind of prove to myself that I had put in this work and this time and effort to train to be able to accomplish this, um, that I wasn't about to let a little bit of pain stop me. On the east side of the divide, the canoe they've been carrying and sometimes dragging for weeks finally gets put to use again. They put in on the Missouri River, and for the first time in the trip, they're going with the current. They head east and south until it meets the Mississippi. Just above St. Louis, they take a much-needed break, but it's an unscheduled one. This isn't a leg of the journey that's ending. And it isn't just that Jill's body is exhausted. It's something very different. You see, despite all the physical training, there was an emotional element to the trip that she hadn't prepared for. Her relationship with Martin had run its course. Essentially, some choice words were said to me that um, I just couldn't, I couldn't support that anymore. So yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to say um, negative things, so. <laughs> they traded the canoe for a pair of solo kayaks. And for a brief while, they tried to do separate but parallel trips. But that idea was short-lived. Well, I woke up to a text message saying to, to not join back up. And if I wanted to keep going, just go alone. Martin had abandoned her. Definite hurt. Um, not really anger, but that feeling of who does that to somebody, who basically abandons somebody where they know that they don't know anyone, they don't know the area. And while she knew she wouldn't miss him, he also took most of the gear. I didn't have any of the safety gear, solar panels, batteries, anything. I basically had a couple days of food and my camera equipment and my kayak gear. That and her spirit. I mean, that's really all she had, a stubborn streak in a kayak. But she kept going. I was doing at least 50 miles a day um, when I was by myself in the kayak. I was trying to do 50 miles. I wasn't paddling once it was dark, just was not safe at all. And I was trying to camp on islands as best as possible, again, out of safety reasons, um, being a solo female too. So there she is, alone, in the wilds of the Deep South, lying in her tent, her muscles aching, but her mind racing. Suddenly, outside, she hears something. Digging around in the, the, the sand and the grass right there. And I just reached over and grabbed my knife. I don't know what I thought I was going to do with that, but I grabbed it anyways. Then she hears a snort the unmistakable sound of a wild boar. This isn't some roly-poly pig from Old McDonald's farm. They have long pointed tusks and can top 200 pounds. And wild boars are completely unpredictable. One may run away in complete fear when it sees you 100 meters away, yet the next one will charge you and try to kill you. Um, so I just held my breath and lay there 
Jill is lying there. Nothing between her and the boar, but a thin layer of waterproof nylon. It's one of the longest nights of her life. That morning I woke up to a spectacular sunrise and an alligator sitting in the water just off the end of my kayak. And I ended up going out and watching him and and went in the water and went for a little swim with this alligator, which was just the best way to start a day. For the next few weeks, Jill's days are spent paddling down the river. It's getting wider now and the terrain is flattening out. But still, Climbing up the riverbank and lugging her boat and her gear around rapids or dams is a near daily event. On one portage, she walks through poison ivy and her shins and calves erupt in red welts. On another, a swarm of mosquitoes makes lunch out of her neck and shoulders. And there is nowhere to hide when it rains. I am just outside of St. Francisville in Louisiana area. And I camped on another island and got up that morning. And I needed to get from the island to the far side of the Mississippi River. Um, But these storms kept coming. So it just wasn't safe to be paddling and doing this big crossing when there was a rainstorm. The river is almost a mile across at this point. And there's ships, cargo boats that aren't really keeping a sharp lookout for a lone paddler in a tiny kayak. So I had to keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, there was a little gap and I pushed off basically halfway across this wall of rain. I could see coming. I couldn't see anything past it. And I just paddled as hard as I could to get to the other side. And as soon as I got to the other side, it hit me, along with a lightning bolt hitting the island that I had just left. She reaches the far side of the river, but she still isn't safe. I sat there holding on to the branches of a tree being that the river was so flooded, I was basically in the limbs of trees, um, in the water. I sat there for quite a while, um, just kind of waiting out the storm because I couldn't even see now the island. It was raining so heavy. And mentally I was pretty pretty exhausted and my body was, was starting to deteriorate. The rain was heavy, the lightning frightening but this was more about the accumulation of the last four months. The broken foot, the abandonment, the wild boar. It was all piling on top of each other now. Jill opened her waterproof bag and powered on her phone. I was able at that point to connect to a cell service and put the word out of where I was and asked if anybody in the vicinity could in some way help me. This show is called Tell Me What Happened, an original podcast by OnStar. Real people that provide added peace of mind for all kinds of adventurers. It's a chance for people like Jill to tell stories about pivotal moments in their lives. And in all the stories, there comes a moment when they need help. Help from someone they don't know. In this story, it's Merrily Orr. I love people. I try to come from a place of love, particularly during a a time in the world that I feel people are so divided. I care deeply about people, and I try to make things a little bit better every day. 
make things a little bit better every day. I love that. And it's exactly what Jill Brown needed. Jill is still in her kayak. She's pulled it into the high weeds lining the river. The overhanging trees offer a bit of protection from the rain, but not much. She's holding her phone inside a clear plastic bag, just staring at the screen. It's a message from a stranger. It's a message from Marilee. And I then received the word that her son was going to come and find me. My kayak was almost sunk because of all the rain. But I was so excited because I knew there was somebody that I was going to go and meet and I would be able to get dry. I knew in my heart that we were meant to go help Jill. And uh, so we went out there, we got her off the river. We just wanted to give her a safe haven for the night, just a place to rest before she continued down the river, right? And we didn't know any, anything else. I didn't know anything else about that, her story other than she was a young woman who needed to be, quote, rescued from the river. Jill steps out of a storm and into an oasis. Again, it looked like you're entering a house, normal house, a big dining room table, maps all over the place. The whole dining room table was covered in um, the lower Mississippi um, River maps. To Jill, the room already feels like home. And standing in the middle of it is Marilee. A small woman, dark salt and pepper hair, glasses, a beautiful smile, and just so motherly immediately just big hugs like grab your shoulders hug you like she hasn't seen you in forever like a mom would a beautiful young woman outdoory woman but seemed to me a bit broken if you want me to be honest i was concerned Marilee was born and raised in the south after a hug and a few comforting words she got to fixing something to eat what well, was good food, good Southern food. And, you know, food is such a part of our culture here more so than in other places. It's an extension of your caring for her. So we made sure that she had things that would be nourishing and something warm and something that would help her get healed from that experience. For the first time in what seems like forever, Jill eats a hot meal off a real plate, sitting in a chair at a table simple luxury she hadn't even realized she had missed. And she is dry, sleeping in a soft bed. Her exhausted body, her exhausted mind can finally just shut down. She falls into a deep, contented sleep. Shortly after, Marilee and her sons also call it a night. For them, it's just another day of helping people. The next morning, Jill wakes up refreshed. Her first thoughts are of getting back on the river. That's all she's known for months now. She's made it to Louisiana, but there's still a long way to go. Going down through Baton Rouge and then through New Orleans and then doing this intercoastal waterway in the Gulf of Mexico. She goes downstairs for breakfast and says she's feeling great. But Marilee isn't buying it. Not that she wasn't friendly, not that she wasn't warm or anything like that. I just sensed in my heart there was something more going on with Jill. And that following morning um, was really when I felt that motherly figure um, or that role come into play was just that, that honesty in the words that she spoke. 
Marilee, gently, starts asking questions. She talked to me like she wanted to know about me and not so much necessarily about the trip, which was really a big thing um, and was just so open and honest. I just felt that there was something uh, within her that needed a little help. And, and I have to say, I think maybe some people might not have crossed that boundary. In other words, we could have met and I wouldn't have asked questions that would have led us to have that really important conversations. But uh, in my heart, I just felt it was the right thing to do. And, sh- and she actually, I felt, was very receptive. She was like, <sighs> Marilee is a complete stranger. But in that one conversation, she helps Jill face one of her greatest fears. And it isn't continuing her transcontinental paddling trip. What Jill is afraid of is stopping. A big part of the weight that, was, that I was feeling was that I was letting down family. And uh, knowing all these, these people had put so much trust in you to accomplish this, it really weighs on you. And to have somebody just listen to you talk about that and to be there and, and still say, if, if you feel you need to stop, then you stop. Stopping is not failure. Stopping is wisdom. I didn't want her to continue the way she was. It would have been not a good thing for anybody. She's like, it's okay to call it quits. It's not quitting. Look at what you've achieved already. And and that she was proud of me. And she had just met me. Right there, sitting in a simple wooden chair at an oversized kitchen table, Marilee helped Jill to see herself and her journey more clearly. The 4,000 miles, the hundreds of portages, the loneliness, the wild animals, and the bug bites that cover almost every inch of her skin. Those were all tough. But the biggest threat to her safety was herself. I think she had that feeling that she was going to fail if she didn't keep going at that moment. And, you know, that the momentum, which is what drives a lot of people and makes them successful, but you also have to be wise enough to know when you need to stop. I I wanted to just really be frank with her, and I was a little, you know, tough love kind of thing. Going forward is not really smart. It's not really brave. Stopping is the brave thing. I didn't feel comfortable to carry on um, not having the proper safety equipment um, or maps or GPS or anything or radios to communicate with vessels. I just thought it was just not right for me to keep going. It's not quitting. Um, It's making a smart decision. And that is how Jill's continent-crossing odyssey ended. Not with a triumphant arrival in the Florida Keys, not with a catastrophic accident and daring rescue, but with a hot meal, a soft bed, and an honest conversation over breakfast. And after a few days a tearful goodbye. Yeah, there was um, some big hugs, just like a mom would do. That big hug. If you need anything, you call me. (laughs) You take care of yourself and I'm proud of you. One final note about Jill and the timing of her decision. She didn't know it at the time, but just a week after she ended her trip, Hurricane Michael hit the Gulf Coast. I likely would have been on the banks of the river pretty close if in New Orleans probably at that time if not already in the Gulf of Mexico and who knows what would have happened 
That's the power of a human connection. It can save someone, even from a threat neither person knows about. This is Tell Me What Happened, an original podcast by OnStar. And on every episode, I try to do two things. One, share a story about people helping people. And two, talk to an expert about what we can do to make our corner of the world a little safer. Because that's what OnStar does every day. In this episode, I want to talk to Kritisa Slay. She's a clinical psychologist and the owner of Deeply Rooted Psychological Services. She even hosts her own series, The Wash Day Podcast. All that makes her the perfect person to ask, why do people help strangers? Extreme empathy. Empathy is the thing that carries us so far, but there are different types of empathy. So you can have like cognitive empathy where you're like, I can understand where you're coming from. You can have emotional empathy and like, let's say someone stubs their toe and you can almost feel it for yourself. Um, The other is compassionate empathy, one where you are legit compelled compelled to move. Um, It's more about understanding where someone is in their personal experience um, and seeing that you have something that you can share with them that might get them through that. Um, And only in those moments when you feel that compassionate empathy, are you compelled to move? Like you can feel your body almost pushing you to to move on this and to help someone. It felt like Marilee demonstrated all of those types of empathy. Yes. She seemed like such a motherly figure, someone who just was like, I'm just going to take this girl in my arms and give her a hug. How much of that is chalked up to a maternal instinct? We're not all born with empathy. It's not something that um, comes easily. We have to practice at it. And so mothers get such a good opportunity to practice empathy throughout their life, um, throughout the care of someone else. So any kind of caregiver, really, they have really good opportunities to practice the empathy. Well, I want to switch gears a bit. How do you think anybody can prepare for a kind of adventure or a kind of trip that pushes them out of their typical day-to-day? So I would encourage you to find other like-minded people um, who have similar interests, similar experiences. Sometimes we don't always think of the circumstances that we're going to be in. So it would be good to find like-minded people who are interested in the same areas. Do your research on it. Um, Have fun with your research. Again, find fun things, but also find areas that you're going to need to watch out for, um, risk factors. I think the most important thing is to make sure that you check in with yourself emotionally to see where you are. Why am I doing this thing? Why? What, what are my interest levels for this thing? What is my why for this thing? Why do I want to do this? Why is it important? So for Jill, it wasn't just kayaking to a specific location, but it had something meaningful in the process. And so ask yourself, why are you doing this? Ask yourself, are you afraid? Is that going to impact your decision-making while you're on this trip? And if so... How do you normally behave when you're scared? Like, what are the things that you worry about? How do you normally react to certain situations when you're scared? Do you avoid? Because if you're in a situation like Jill, you might completely shut down and feel like, I just need time to kind of close ranks and just be quiet and not move and not do anything. So I always encourage people, never engage in decision-making when you are stressed out or when you're upset, depressed, or anxious in any way, because it impacts the way that you think about yourself the world around you, and the way that you're going to get through something. Do you think Jill would have made some bad decisions? I mean, given the weather conditions she was facing, what she'd already been through on the trip, if she hadn't met Marilee? Yes. 
I think that she met Marilee at the perfect time. She was in the midst of emotionally breaking down. Her body was breaking down. She didn't have the tools that she needed to get to her destination. Um, And it's best to take inventory and realize what your limitations are than to realize them in the midst of something that you can't get yourself out of. Um, And so I think that that almost was like all of the anxiety building for Jill that morning of was, I don't have any of this stuff that I need, things that I knew that I needed when I started this trip, and I don't have them now. And so what else do I have? Um, And for her to take that inventory and be realistic about it at a time when she was so emotional speaks to just how strong Jill is. So a lot of us, if we want to face a new experience and get out into the world and see something new, we know that we're going to face adversity and that turns a lot of people off of those kinds of adventures. How do we, what is, what is some practical advice to face that adversity and challenges that we know is going to come, whether it's a language barrier or anything like that, that comes with experiencing new cultures? I always encourage people if they can bring a partner to bring someone on a trip like that, that has a really good high emotional IQ. So that's someone who can look at someone. So that's someone like Marilee, honestly, Um, someone who can look at another person and feel the emotion and see the emotion based on their words. They don't necessarily need to understand the actual language, but they can understand the emotion. And even when we're speaking the exact same language, even when we're both speaking English, having someone who can bypass the words and see beyond that to the emotion is super important. Um, And that's also how we manage in difficult situations. So if you have someone who has maybe a difficult personality, what we all can understand is how it feels to experience a specific emotion. So you might not, and you might not agree with the way that someone is handling their emotions validate the emotion, be with the emotion, have two human beings just on the same level checking for each other's emotions. That is the best way to bypass any issues, any differences, and really just connect human to human, which is exactly why it worked so well for Marilee and Jill. Well, Cortisa, I think we can decide that we all want a Marilee in our lives, but I, <laughs> let me tell you, I wouldn't mind going on a road trip with you. I think you'd be able to manage it just fine, even my difficult personality. Oh, thank you, Tor. You have, definitely don't have a difficult personality. You are a gem. I'm Tora Kachur. That's it for this episode of Tell Me What Happened, brought to you by OnStar. This series is all about people helping people, just like how OnStar empowers people to get out there safely. And since they've been doing it for 25 years now, they've got hundreds of incredible stories to share. You can read about and watch some of those at OnStar.com. While you're there, tell us your best Good Samaritan story. You can also check out the show notes to find a link to photos and a map of Jill's incredible trip, as well as preparedness articles from OnStar. Please tell your friends about us so we can spread these stories about how wonderful people really are. And always, be safe out there.